We just stepped on their face with a hobnailed boot and broke their nose. One, two, three. Bullshit. Welcome to the Tide Run Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Bethay, coming to you today from the Ron Gant Studios to talk to you about the 2022 defending world champion, Atlanta Braves. If you're new to the show, please take time to like and subscribe on your podcasting platform. Please make sure to follow us on social media, Facebook and Twitter. And as always, you can email us, titlerunsports at gmail.com. So, the world champion Atlanta Braves, and you're going to hear me say that a lot because, you know, it's only the second world championship of my lifetime in any sport. So, yeah, I'm going to be saying that a lot. The 2022 defending world champion Atlanta Braves are rolling into this season with another set of super high expectations. And I want to hit you with a preview that's going to cover five burning questions about this 2022 team and why we as fans should be really optimistic about what they could do this season. So, first question I want to start with. Why will the Braves be good in 2022? So, essentially, I have three reasons. First is the lineup. So, the Braves were just an above-average offense in 2021. They ranked between 8 and 12 in most of the major offensive categories. They were third in the major leagues in home runs at 239. But you look at their batting average, OPS, total bases, WRC+, plus, which was 98, they're just right in the slightly above average range. They're all right there bunched together in that like 8-12 range, showing that they were a slightly above average offense. It really doesn't make a lot of sense that this team performed as well as they did, truthfully. Um, and part of the reason they were good is because they had good top of the rotation pitching and during the second half of the season, good bullpen pitching. But when you look at the Braves, you think about them being a good offensive team last year, but they really weren't. And that's largely due to playing half the season with only one major league quality outfielder, which we'll talk about in depth here in a second, <laughs> and playing about two-thirds of the season without a catcher. Um, I think the Braves started seven different catchers last year, and you're talking about guys that the Braves got rid of and didn't sign on with anybody else. I mean, they were playing with basically AAA catchers for most of the season. Darno played just 60 games last year, and if you remember in the outfield, Marcelo Zuna played 48 games before breaking his hand in May and then getting suspended. And then Ronald Acuna played half the season, 82 games, so right at half the season, before tearing his ACL at the beginning of July, where he was on pace for 48 home runs and 104 RBIs. And so right before the Braves made all these trades that reshaped the outfield, they got 50-plus games from Ender Enciarte, Abraham Almonte, Guillermo Haradiel, and then a handful of starts from Christian Pache and Orlando Arcia. That's what the Braves were playing in the outfield. Even with Acuna, the Braves had one of the least productive outfields in baseball for about half the season. And the projected opening day lineup this year of Adam Duvall, Marcelo Zuna, and Eddie Rosario is just an enormous upgrade over the July lineups we were trotting out with Heredia, Jock Peterson, and Abraham Almonte. So, just, <laughs> I mean, it's no comparison. So, you should have capable playing the outfield. Darno is back healthy. If he just plays at his career averages, we don't expect him to hit what he did in 2020 when he was the best hitting catcher of baseball. I don't think that's who he really is. If he just hits at his career averages, it's a massive upgrade on offensive catcher. And so I think that the likely outcome is that this lineup a lot more closely resembles the 2020 lineup that was the second best offense in baseball and came within one game of the World Series. 
I really think that is the most likely outcome. And even if they're not, at worst, this is probably still a top five lineup. And the second reason the Braves can be really good is because of a bullpen that is vastly improved in terms of depth, quality, and versatility. And I honestly think could possibly be the best bullpen baseball. We're going to circle back around to that, though. But when you take that lineup and add it to a bullpen that is top-notch and then throw in what is a very, very strong top of the rotation as the third piece, I think those together equal up to a team that is built, tailor-made for the postseason. And when it comes to rotation, again, we understand that we don't have the depth that the Los Angeles Dodgers do where we have guys like David Price coming out of our bullpen because we don't have a spot for them in our starting rotation. But if you remember last year, Max Fried got off to a really sluggish start and then pitched like an absolute ace down the stretch. He started off the season going 6-5 and five with a 4.71 ERA and a whip of 1.39, which is pretty terrible. But post-All-Star break, Fried goes 8-2 and two with a 1.74 ERA and a .85 whip, which is absurd. So him and Morton, who was our other ace last year, finished 2nd and 4th in the National League and fewest tournaments allowed. Freed allowed the fifth U.S. walks. Morton finished sixth in strikeouts, and they both finished top 11 in war. So when it comes to the quality of the top of Atlanta's rotation, Freed and Morton aren't Woodruff and Burns from Milwaukee, and they're not Urias and Bueller from the Dodgers, but they're probably in the tier just below that where they're not elite elite, but they're really, really, really good, and they have an elite bullpen behind them, and we think potentially an elite lineup that might help push this team over the top. And when it comes to the postseason, Freed was up and down, but Morton was rock solid. And the X factor here is Ian Anderson. Anderson may have the best postseason start in his career of any pitcher we've ever seen. You're talking about he's got eight career playoff games under his belt. And he's given up five runs for an ERA of 1.26. That doesn't seem real, but if it is, he and Morton or a 1-2 playoff tandem as good as any in baseball. Because everybody knows when it comes to playoffs, Charlie Morton is nails, and he has been for some time now. So when you take into account the top of the rotation, which is so important for the playoffs, the bullpen with the added depth that we're going to talk about here in a second, and the lineup that should be significantly improved over last year, the Braves look like one of the five best teams in baseball on paper right off the jump. Now circling back around to the offense, we mentioned that the Braves were a slightly above average offense in spite of having one of the worst offensive outfields in baseball for most of the year. So how did that happen? The answer is the Braves put together one of the best offensive years from an infield in league history. And a lot's been made of that. They had four infielders at 25 or more home runs, three that had 30 or more. Uh, Danzy Swanson had 27. In addition to them all having 80 or more RBIs and all these and Riley both going over 100 RBIs. But there's one number that no one, I've not heard this mentioned at all on any Braves content I have viewed since last season. And that is the number 11. That's how many games the Braves infield missed last year combined. 11 games. So when you have that kind of continuity in an extremely talented and mostly young infield, you're going to get good production. Now, I don't know if we can expect that kind of production again this year because that was just absurd. But the health in the infield is one of the reasons the Braves were able to stay in it with an outfield that was just decimated by injuries and bad play. And we don't yet know if the MVP caliber season we saw from Austin Raleigh was a fluke. We just don't know yet. Or 
if that's his rise to megastardom, is he going to become our next Freddie Freeman? And, and people have to realize, because people have to realize this, people don't realize this, Austin Raleigh had half a year in the bigs in 2019 and then the 60-game season in 2020. 2021 was his first full season in the bigs. So for those of you that were ready to give up on him last year, you have to realize he had not even yet played a full 162 games in the major leagues. It takes time. And so in his first full big league year, he lit it up. And it remains to be seen if he can do that again. But this is a case study in why you don't give up on a guy who hasn't even played a full year's schedule in the bigs. But assuming Riley aggresses the mean a little bit, that would silly the Braves with one of the two or three most potent infields in the bigs if they can stay healthy. And to me, the biggest factor in this isn't Matt Olson; It's Dansby Swanson. And if you allow me just one second, let me take a quick detour here on Matt Olson. I'm not going to talk about the trade and whose fault that was. That's water under the bridge for me. But there are some people saying that Olsen is actually an upgrade over Freddie. They're wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I actually think the trade was a really good trade. I think it, I think it served the Braves' best interest. But Matt Olson is objectively not better than Freddie Freeman. And I went and pulled the numbers from their last three years. This is Freddie's age 29 through 31 seasons, which include his 2020 MVP season and Matt Olson's 2019 to 2021 seasons. Freddie has 100 more hits, 82 home runs to 89. Olson has seven more, 257 RBIs for Freddie to 244 for Olsen. Freddie has a higher batting average, 304 to 257, a higher on-base percentage, 402 to 354, higher slugging percentage, 544 to 522, higher OPS, 946 to 876, and he has and he has 110 more total bases. Matt Olson is a very good player. In two years, Matt Olson will probably be better than Freddie Freeman. But to this point in their careers, Matt Olson is not better than Freddie Freeman. And I just want to say that because objectively, the Braves, I don't want to say got worse, but they're getting a player who is not quite as good as the player that left. However, being that Freddie Freeman is over 30 and Matt Olson is under 30, there's a very good chance that three years from now, Matt Olson will be a much better value and still playing at an all-star level, whereas Freddie Freeman will probably finally start to see his decline. So I just wanted to say that I know Matt Olson's a great player. I'm excited to have him. He gives you a left-handed stick that's probably going to hit you 40 home runs in Truist Park. I, he's a better defensive first baseman, arguably, than Freddie, who is also very, very good. All those things are true. And yet I can still say that he's probably not as good as Freddie Freeman today. I digress. Back to Dansby Swanson. So 2018-2019, the seasons are both disrupted by injuries. It seemed like in those seasons, every time he found a swing, he got hurt. And the last two years, he has missed just two games. Total. <laughs> played all 60 in 2020 and played 160 last year. So if you project his 162-game average from 2020, which was the 60-game season, and average that together with what he actually did last year, it comes out to about 27 home runs and 91 RBIs. Now, I don't know if he'll hit that this year, but can you imagine getting that out of Dansby Swanson, who is probably going to hit in the 7 or 8 hole in your lineup, 27-91? If that happens, this is going to be the best lineup in baseball. And all you need from the outfield is for them to be better then Guillermo Heredia, Abraham Almonte, Ender Enciarte, and Christian Pache. If your outfit is better than that, your lineup has improved. Question number three. Will the Braves have the best bullpen in baseball? On paper, it, it's looking that way. <laughs> Their closing lineup of Colin McHugh, Tyler Matzik, A.J. Minter, Will Smith, and Kenley Jansen is 
probably only rivaled by the Dodgers with their closing group of Trannon, Gratterall, Hudson, Vesia, and Kimbrell because they just added Craig Kimbrell. And the loss of Luke Jackson does hurt, but it kind of remains to be seen how serious his UCL injury is. As of the time of this recording, they have not announced Tommy John surgery for him, so there is a chance he could return. But the additional depth in this year's pin means that Jackson was a lot less likely to see some of those high-leverage deployments that we've seen from him in the last couple of years. Hopefully his role as like the 6th or 7th inning cleanup man can be replaced by a youngster like Spencer Strider or one of the many failed or unused starters that we're likely to have like Tuki Desant, Sean Newcomb, or Kyle Wright. And the Braves' bullpen was pretty underwhelming in the first half of 2021. You remember we had sent A.J. Minter back down to AAA. Matzik got hurt in... The night shift that we saw that was virtually unhittable for the last two and a half months of the season, that didn't really start until August, where Matzik and Minter come back and post ERAs of zero for almost the entire month of August. And then Matzik just goes on this unbelievable run in the postseason where he looks like the best reliever in baseball for about three weeks. So I don't know if we can count on them being that good all year long. But I think one important thing that we can count on is Will Smith being better than he was last year. And Will Smith ended up top five in baseball in saves, was flawless in the postseason. And one of the things that I think will make Will Smith better is that in the postseason, Will Smith never pitched on back-to-back nights. The result? Perfect postseason. And the additional rest seems to have really made a difference in how in, in how he pitched because, as we know, Will Smith is typically wild but effective. And we saw that version of him for six months, and they went from that to like a true lights-out closure in the postseason. And I think that with the Braves' added depth, perhaps Will Smith can be utilized less often and actually maximize his effectiveness, especially if he's not being asked to close every night. And as for our new closer, Kenley Jansen, we need to remember this is not the 2015 to 2018 Kenley Jansen. Okay, that that guy is not who we're getting. During that four-year span, he had 13 blown saves total. In the last three years, he's had 15 blown saves, and that includes the 60-game COVID season. (laughs) So he's not that guy anymore, but he's still an effective closer. And now the Braves have two of the top five save artists in baseball in the same bullpen. So I have a hard time seeing this not being one of the one or two best bullpens in baseball, which means this team is, again, perfectly set up for the postseason. So we talked about the front end of the Braves rotation and how good it could be, but what about the back end? So the next question is, what will the Braves do with the back end of the rotation? And if you remember, I think a lot of us have forgotten, two years ago in 2020, the Braves had one of the worst rotations in baseball, and a lot of times we forget that because they had a historically good offense and an elite bullpen, and the shortened season really let them hide the lack of depth. And last year, the addition of Charlie Morton and the emergence of Ian Anderson alongside just the underrated excellence of Max Freed gave the Braves a trio of quality starters they didn't have the year before. And we've already detailed how Freed struggled in the first half and was really good in the second half. But the back end of the rotation was still kind of an adventure with Drew Smiley, Huascari Noah, and a bunch of of stopgap starters like Tucker Davidson, Kyle Wright, Tuki Toussaint, etc., 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 Overall, the Braves actually did end up with an above-average rotation that became really dominant in the postseason when they trimmed the fat at the back end. If you remember, Waskar Noah was pitching like an all-star the first half of the year. He was unreal before he broke his hand. He lost that fight with a bench. And 
And the Braves overall ended up 7th in ERA, 7th in wins by starters, 8th in innings pitch, 9th in left on base percentage, 12th in war. Okay, you know, slightly above average stats. Good, but not great. And I think they can improve on that. The real interesting piece here is Enoy because before that injury, he had an ERA of 3.02, a whip of 1.05. And I keep using the term whip, assuming you listeners know what it means. Whip means walks and hits per innings pitched. Basically means how many base runners do you allow per inning. Anything under 1.1 is pretty good for a starting pitcher. Anything under 1 is exceptional. Anything under 9 is like out of this world. So he had a whip of 1.05 and was averaging 10.1 strikeouts per 9 innings, which is a really solid number. Not like elite, but really solid. He was easily an all-star at the time he got hurt. And the question is, can he return to even 80% of that? Because if you get a because if you get a just barely sub-all-star quality pitcher out of your 4 or 5 slot, that's fantastic. And the other two that we have to bring up here are Tuki Toussaint and Kyle Wright. I like Tuki Toussaint, but geez, I don't know if he's ever going to figure it out. I, he's amazingly talented, but frustratingly inconsistent. He has not figured out that a great curveball is not enough to be effective. You have to throw fastballs consistently. And he's got that just devastating curve that when he's not throwing it for a strike, he can't get out. And he and Kyle Muller led the Brave starters in walk rate. As for Kyle Wright, he was good in the postseason, so good that it almost makes you forget that he's basically sucked the whole time he's pitched in the major leagues during the regular season. Career ERA of 6.56 last year, it was over 9. He allows over 6 walks per 9 innings and has averaged just 4 innings per start in the last 6 outings. And so he just, he showed you he could be good, but I just don't have any confidence. When the Braves talked about pitching him in the postseason, I just put my hands over my face and said, why don't we just forfeit the game? And he ended up pitching phenomenal, so who knows. But those are two guys who have so much talent that are just so frustrating. You just want one of them to figure it out and take the spot or just to get traded and be done with. Honestly, I think the most realistic hope is that Enola regains his first half of 2021 form. It gets close to that. And that Soroka, Mike Soroka, that guy, remember him? All-star in 2019? Yeah. He finally is able to return and just be a shell of what he was then. Because if you get a good Enola and and Soroka pitching anywhere close to what he used to be, that's the best five-man rotation the Braves have had in years. Question number four. If the Braves stink this year, what went wrong? And to me, it's really only one answer, and that is injuries to the rotation. As we've just talked about, the Braves have three guys that you feel really good at at the front of the rotation, but behind that, it's very questionable. And if Freed or Morton go down for any extended period of time, the Braves just don't have the depth to recover. At least it doesn't appear that way. And they showed last year they could absorb the loss of their best overall player with, you know, a four-to-one approach in the outfield. But that doesn't work for starting pitchers, you know. You can't get four starters equal one in your rotation. And there's just not any way to replace a frontline starter unless you get an unexpected spike from someone you aren't expecting, like one of the people we just mentioned. So... I think that that's really the only thing that could totally derail their season. I think they could survive injuries in the bullpen because of the depth this year. I think they could survive injuries in the lineup with the addition of the D8. That's an extra stick you could insert. I think they have enough depth there to be able to survive. But if there's any injuries that cause significant mistime rotation, I just don't think the Braves can survive. And this is embarrassing. I'm sitting here looking at my notes realizing that was actually question number five, and I misnumbered these. Oh, well, Billy, are you going to fix that in post? No, you're not. Okay, well, I guess it'll just be misnumbered. That's why you get paid what you get paid, Billy, which is nothing. Okay, so let's end with 
our projections for this year. So, so the Braves are universally projected as the favorite for the NL East. The win totals are fairly consistent. 538 has them projected for 93 wins. Fangraphs at 91. Baseball Perspective with their Pocota model has them at 92 wins. ESPN has them at 91. So an average of 92 wins, which is very, very consistent among all these major among all these major predictive models. I personally have always had the Braves a little bit higher than the projections from these companies. And if you look at the last three seasons for the Braves, 88 wins. If you extrapolate out their 2020 season, they were on pace for 94 wins. And then 90-97, the two seasons before that. So over the last four years, the Braves have averaged 92.25 wins. And they have beaten the projections three of the last four years, I believe. So I have the Braves assuming perfect health in all conditions being perfect with a ceiling of about 97 wins. And barring injuries to the starting rotation, unforeseen underperformance, I think the Braves kind of bottom out at about 89 wins. So the way I typically do this is I split the difference. So I'm putting the Braves in at a solid 94 wins. And based on what the models are predicting, that's going to be enough to win this division because the Mets are predicted to be a team with a winning record. The Phillies are predicted to be just above 500. The Marlins and Nationals are predicted to both be good but not winning teams. The Mets averaged between 88 and 92 wins from most of the major baseball publications. So they averaged right around 90. The Philadelphia Phillies were predicted to win between 82 and 86 games by almost everybody for an average of about 84 wins. The Marlins were predicted to go 76 to 79 wins for an average of about 78 wins. And the Nats were predicted to be 71 to 74 wins for an average of about 73 wins. So I think that the Braves could be a really, really good team that doesn't put up a tremendous win total for the simple fact that this division is going to be competitive. It's not going to be the AL East where you might have every team finish the winning record. But I think the Braves might have like a 100-win roster. But because of the depth in the division and just the things that go wrong in a season might end up closer to about 93 or 94 wins. So I'm going to put my stamp down for 94. I was close last year. I predicted 91 and we got 88 even with all that went haywire for the Braves. So again, so again, I'm going above the projection and predicting a 94-win season for the Braves and another matchup with the Los Angeles Dodgers who on paper are y'all the best in baseball <laughs> they are on paper uh, a rematch with them in the NLCS for the third straight year this has been David Thavitz how to run podcast that's it for today thank you for listening and go Braves <laughs>